This is the broad roadmap for this afternoon. But before that, I just want to give a brief uh, overview of Northeast India. Northeast India comprises of eight states of Assam, Arunachal Pradesh, Manipur, Meghalaya, Mizoram, Tripura, Nagaland, and also, of course, Sikkim, and have witnessed scales of conflict. That could be not all, all the states, but uh, especially Assam, Nagaland, and uh, Manipur and Meghalaya, and Tripura have witnessed uh, scales of conflict that could be characterized as low-intensity conflict. However, states like uh, Mizoram and Arunachal Pradesh have remained comparatively peaceful. Sikkim, where I stay, uh, where I actually work, on the other hand, has remained peaceful, though identity issues have slowly coming up. I have mentioned in details the contributor, uh, contributory factors of the existing militancy in each state uh, in my book. However, due to paucity of time, I'll skip that detailed account, those detailed accounts for each state and shall focus only on how women have been particularly and severely, severely affected by the ongoing conflict. So the brief outline, conflicts in Northeast India, followed by armed conflicts and its effects on society, then followed by peculiar effects of armed conflict on women, followed by analysis of changing role of women in conflict situations, role of women in conflict transformation in Northeast India, which is the most, uh, mo uh, most attractive part in the book, followed by conclusion. Types of conflict in Northeast India, very broad, uh, I mean to say, a categorization. Uh, where I have mentioned four cornered conflict, conflict between the militants and the security forces, that is the state, militants versus ex-militants, in case of Assam, again, United Liberation Front of Assam versus surrendered uh, cadre of Ulfa, between the militant groups of different ethnic origin, in Assam, Assamese versus Bodo group, in Nagaland, Naga versus Kuki group, so on and so forth, and the fourth, fourth corner is, of course, the civilians, especially women, who have been targeted as victims. A map of Northeast India comprises eight states, where you can see all the eight states. Armed conflict across and between communities result in massive levels of destruction to the people, physically, culturally, economically, and psychologically. Women as heterogeneous group of social actors are arguably more affected than their male counterparts in conflict situations. Armed conflict exacerbates inequalities in gender relations that already exist in society in an ethnically divided society, women bodies are generally used as ethnic markers, thereby have more specific ramifications. What do you mean by that? Sorry? What do you mean by that? I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Which one? The last, last sentence. In an ethnically, ethnically divided society, uh, that I'll come to the, when I come to the category, I'll, I'm going to, uh, I mean to say, focus on details that uh, by eth uh, uh, women bodies are generally used as ethnic markers. I mean, suppose I am an Assamese woman, and I'll be targeted because I am an Assamese woman, <coughs> and I have some identity attached to it. Uh, they stand for their community. Community. I have different dress. I have different, you know, uh, dress songs. The, the dress is only one denominator. There are others as well. So, impact of armed conflict on women: the tale of trauma and survival. An attempt is made to analyze the changing role of women in conflict situations in the light of seven-role framework based on my research in Northeast India. First category, I, have, uh, I mean, to say that is not, maybe, you know, it's not the, I mean to say, watertight compartment. There may be some other categories. This is the category made by me, I mean to say, based on my field work. Yes. Uh, first category, women relatives, friends of armed activists. 
includes mothers, wives, sisters, partners, or any female relative or friends of armed activists. They are in struggle with or without choice who bear the atrocities both by the state as well as by other warring factions such as unidentified gunmen. Example, I have many examples actually, but I have enlisted only one or two. Belstri Narzari, she is a Bodu woman. Her husband, Furan, who was a poor farmer, was beaten mercilessly by the army person in front of her eyes without any rhyme and reason. A lady who was entirely dependent upon her husband is now alone and bewildered. She has not even got any assistance from the government. Later on, all Bodo Students Union has issued a certificate de uh, declaring uh, her husband to be a martyr in a patriarchal setup. Widows hardly have any public space back home in India, especially in Northeast India. But in Belshri's case, uh, an attempt was made to make her a political symbol depending upon the situation on it. It was a right moment for the, that particular group all Bodo Students Union to issue a testament of martyr for Furen, her husband, when the political situation was hot during uh, due to inter-ethnic clash. A photograph from the field of that lady talking about with her uh, daughter and that is the certificate of martyr which I actually collected from her uh, and where it's written uh, clearly office of the all Bodo students there was actually tussle no there are a lot many groups everything I have uh, given in details in this book of mine so maybe if you have a grab a copy, you'll have a, a detailed idea about the whole scenario. Furan Nursery, he was 45, he was killed, and a certificate of whatever murder certificate was issued to, uh, to uh, his wife. Second category, wives of missing militants consist of women whose husbands are in militant outfits and are missing since Bhutan military operation, they call it Operation All Clear. Uh, in December 2003, to flush out militant group from its territory, these women have been knocking on every door for information about the whereabouts of their missing husbands. Till date, they do not know their own status, whether they are married or not, whether they should put a bindi. Bindi means in, uh, signifies they are, they are married, you know. Widows, they back home in India, the Hindu community, they do not put that bindi. It's different that I do not have time to put a bindi. Uh, I'm married and my husband is, is there, but <laughs> do not have any time because I have an infant with me. <laughs> Till date, they do not know about their own status. A widow and her child, after losing uh, their sole bread honor, uh, suffer a lot economically and psychologically. I have developed model based on their psychological condition, which is there in the book. Then third category, women relatives of state armed forces and state officials includes mother, wife, sisters, daughters, and partners of the police armed uh, personnel who have been dragged into the conflict unwillingly. Like the first category, women under this group also have to grapple with trauma and tragedy. State and society treat relatives of victims in different ways depending upon their socioeconomic status. Fourth category, women as victims of sexual abuse or physical abuse or bullets. They are the women who are mostly uninvolved, innocent civilians. They are targeted both by the state and non-state abusers. The glaring example of innocent women who fall prey in the attacks of bullets as a result of inter-ethnic clash was clearly noticed in, in a village in Assam, unknown village in Assam. I went to the village on 13th of January 1988. Assamese ladies were busy cooking pitha, local delicacy. Those are the you know eth ethnic attachment uh, when you ask me that pose a particular question. Uh, local delicacy. It was day of a festival called Bagbiho Uruka, an Assamese har harvest uh, festival. 17 people were shot dead in one go, especially the ladies, by the unidentified gunmen along with their children who were playing nearby in this festive season. As 
the particular village is situated in the present Baksa uh, district, which is dominated uh, mostly by the Bodos. Bodos are the major plain tribes of Assam. Uh, the rest of the population suspected uh, to be the work of BLT, that is Bodo Liberation tri Tigers, to terrorize the Assamese population so that they vacate the village. The women victims in this category are not seen as women, but as Assamese women, ethnic marker. In this particular case of Borulia Park, symbolic identity has taken a political form. These bodies of Assamese women became the markers of ethnicity as they carried the responsibility for their historical traditions and customs. Women are ascribed the social role of intergenerational transmitters of cultural traditions, customs, songs, etc. This is the picture that I clicked in the site. Shows the name written in Assamese. Those who can follow Bangla can also read of the victims whose name has inscribed in a tomb made by the initiative of village people in Assam police later on a tribute to all who laid their lives. Rashmi can read it because she knows Bangla. So. <laughs> women, <laughs> women is shelter provider. They are the women who sometimes voluntarily or at times are forced to give shelter to band militant and became the cause of wrath of army. Their lives are neither safe in the hands of the state deployed army nor in the militants. If she refuses to keep the members of the outfit, she will fall prey <coughs> into their hands. It was evident that people, especially women, staying in bordering areas are in constant threat as they are sandwiched between both the militant group as well as the army or paramilitary forces. When army comes to know about such hideouts later on, the condition of women deteriorates further as their bodies became a bargaining chip. We should also remember the existence of a draconian act called Armed Forces Special Powers Act in the region and therefore, therefore this kind of situation because when generally, you know, when there is army person, you feel safe, but back home, we do not feel safe. <coughs> um, the examples are there, which I'll, I'll sh uh, show in my slides later. Then sixth category, women militants or combatants. These are women who are actively involved in the struggle, either by choice or by coercion or due to circumstances. Analyzed from the socio-economic background, most of the women cadres of rebel group come from a poor financial or economic background. It is very difficult to maintain parental and conjugal life in a jungle setup in the presence of insecurity for a women combatant. Reproductive role of women generally makes them particularly vulnerable. Absence of medical services and basic supplies have vastly different implications on women than for men. In organizations like ULFA, that is a banned uh, militant organization, United Liberation Front of Assam, there are cases where when handful of women cadres are used for satisfying the desire of male cadres. Even after the extensive training in jungles, women cadres are virtually kept away from direct military action and they play only as a supportive role. Most of the ro their roles are ornamental in nature. This clearly shows that even militant roles uh, have given women f not full equal rights, agency or leadership. Then the seventh category, women as peace negotiators. These are women leaders or women activists, you can say, or individual women who have taken initiative for bringing peace in the state. However, but that they are not always supported by the community and are extremely vulnerable to suspicion and attacks by all factions of the society, both by the state actors and non-state actors. In the most of the northeastern states, women are not represented in the decision-making processes and including the negotiation for peace. 
even if when the state initi initiates to involve the women, it merely assigns women to act as a healer or a pacifier uh, rather than a negotiator. It is common no no notion that control of power, rationality and public personalities are typically associated with men. However, in most of the Northeast Indian states, due to the prevailing situations, women have to give up the traditional stereotypical role and come out for work as the responsibility to look after the family now rests on her shoulder. There are some clippings. Sorry? What kind of work? What kind what of work? There? These are the, because now they are inside the four walls of whatever. Yes, but I mean, Assam used to be associated with tea growing. Yeah, but all are not tea laborers. And Sri Lanka, there were a lot of women. <laughs> That's a different story altogether. You have to go back to the history uh, for that. And uh, all were not from, I mean to say, laborers, uh, uh, whatever uh, uh, background. I mean to say, you know, their husband used to work in different sectors. They were within the four walls of the house. Now their husband, or not even husband, maybe you know, sole owners of, the, of their family is no more. So she has to come out. These are the pictures that is, you know, telling the uh, truth because... Uh, do the women... Uh, pick tea or not? Yeah, they do. They, they still do. In the areas of Darjeeling, they, they do in Assam, Upper Assam. Okay. Yeah, there are tea garden areas, so they are, they, they are Adivasis basically, no? They are, again, you have to go back to the Britishers. Britishers actually uh, brought Nepalese because in the steep hills you have to, you know, a plain, a semi, uh, say for example, I cannot work because for that you have to have a hill women, you know, to, know. and all those uh, things. And different uh, thing altogether. Uh, the following picture shows how circumstances has made women to leave their stereotypical private role. In this picture, Bodo women are selling vegetables in the marketplace in Assam. Somebody is selling uh, selling betel, uh, nut and betel leaf, we call pantamul in the roadside. Somebody is selling murha, uh, you know, bamboo products. In Kokraja, another uh, conflict ravage district of Assam. It is interesting to note that if viewed from public-private dichotomy, mostly tribal women due to their inherent liberal tribal society are seen in large number public domain, uh, the constraints of Assamese speaking non-tribal women regarding their restricted mobility and visibility with respect to a border women in public sphere can be attributed to the, their social tradition, customs and male-dominated social milieu. However, such examples do not necessarily mean that Bodo or Naga women have achieved freedom or a wider space for themselves. The freedom which they have attained is relative in nature and environment specific as well as for sustenance of the family. Uh, that I have uh, drawn uh, based on my field work, some visible effects of conflict on women, loss of control over material resources, then somatic, uh, and health, health-wise, uh, if you see no healthcare facilities, family relations, loss of uh, near and dear ones, high incidence of prostitution and women trafficking, lack of employment, demographic change, migration from the periphery to the core, education, break in education, lack of access, all those. And then some invisible effects, political, curtailment of rights, no choices, social, cultural violence, stigmatization of women. You know, somebody is raped, nobody wants her to come back even. That is the problem uh, when, when you talk about rehabilitation policy male cadres they come come back to the mainstream they assimilate uh, but it's very difficult for a women cadre to come back and because people will you know they'll treat them as ostracized women stigmatized women so on and so forth 
socio-economical, restricted mobility, forced out-migration, juvenile delinquency, lack of health care. Lack of health care because they are in the border areas, there are PHCs, that is called, uh, you know, what do you call it, primary health center. But you will not find a doctor. Why? Because doctors are often kidnapped by the militants for their own treatment. So doctor said, we will not go there, you know, risk our lives. So, uh, very difficult situation for these ladies. Political, polarized communities, alienation from the mainstream, psychological, you know, all those disor psychological disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, trauma, trait perception, they can't sleep at night, all those. Now, in my book, I have also uh, discussed a chapter on on legal means and regulatory mechanisms, uh, where I have given example of, of initiatives taken up by both central and state government, but the impact on the victim uh, of those schemes are very negligible. Then, if you come to the this particular section, which is very, I find it very interesting, a role of women in conflict uh, transformation in uh, northeast India. Which, which I call it uh, the major attraction of this book, uh, uh, where I have discussed how women are trying to build up positive peace. Uh, women in Northeast region always provided a unique example of spontaneous initiatives uh, to reduce the impact of conflict. I'm reading it out from my book. In Assam, role of Mahila Shanti Sena, if you translate it into English, Mahila Shanti Sena will be a Women Peace Corps. Uh, is, is praiseworthy where women are involved in preventive, mitigative, and adaptive method in post-conflict scenario. Preventive, these uh, women prevent their boys to, young boys uh, or men, to go into militancy. They act as an emotional barrier, uh, involve them to, shut the path, to shun the <coughs> path of violence and involve them in, in the, you know, some work, uh, sense, uh, the work which actually help them uh, uh, to, to, to generate, what do you call it, uh, um, become self-sufficient, in other words, yes, self-sufficient. Uh, this uh, Mahila Shanti Sena, they have also as a rapid action force, a rapid action force uh, of 100 cadres is created from this Mahila Shanti Sena itself. Its main aim is to work for preventive action, whether, uh, whenever there is any evidence of any tension on the basis of caste or ethnicity, this action force immediately, immediately takes up to diffuse the tension. If you come to again mitigative, mitigative uh, role, uh, Shanti Sena workers spread education moves from village to village in the interior parts of northeast India. Sometimes I'm going very fast. Maybe I'm very excited, very much excited to talk about this, you know, uh, role of these women. I'm sorry for that. Uh, <laughs> village to village in the interior parts of northeast India inculcate the values of cultural cohesion, feeling of solidarity. Then come to adaptive, adaptive measure in remote part of Northeast India, fruits of development barely reach the affected population. Shanti Sena workers have taken up some developmental activities by themselves like repairing roads, sprinkle DDT in the malaria prone zone. There we do not have taps, you drink tap water or whatever, you know, sparkle, we do not have that. You know, there are water bodies collected and you know, sometimes they drink it directly. So lots of problems. So these women, Shanti Sena workers, they collect DDT powder. And, and sprinkle in the water bodies. They distribute polio vaccines from door to door. Why? Because there are PHC, public health, health center, but no nurse, no doctors. I have told you why. There are other women's organizations uh, which are also working in peace building, like all Bodo Women's Welfare 
federation, some tribal welfare federation and so forth. Now come to Nagaland, another northeastern state. Naga Mothers Association has played a vital role in peace initiatives through their kitchen politics. Now what is kitchen politics? Naga women initiate, uh, sorry, invite rival cadres for meals where they sit and sort out their differences amicably, called kitchen politics. You know, you feed them and then try to settle the things amicably. And they have uh, been active against alcoholism and drug abuses to which many of the unemployed have fallen victim. There are other concepts like pukrela, pukrela in keeping with old Naga tradition whereby women play a proactive role uh, during wartime. See, in, amongst Naga also there are factions, some factions cannot see eye to eye. Uh, a pukrela is a woman who is married to a man belonging to another village. Under customary law, no one should harm a pukrela. And if some trouble arises between the village of her father and of her husband, she can act as a mediator between the warring factions. Then come to Manipur. One uh, can talk of women. Movements such as Meera Paibi is Meera Paibi. If we translate it into English, it will be women torch bearers. Initiated by Methi, Methi is a group, Methi women of Manipur in the 70s, it started as a drive against increasing alcoholism and drug uh, addiction among the youth of Manipur and signaled the assertion of feminist leadership. See, I'm not saying alcoholism is bad, but you know, you drink alcohol, then you beat your wife is really, very bad. So that is why, you know, this kind of drive. Uh, now this movement has turned into the largest grassroots civilian movement. In the fighting state atrocities, Mayra Paibi's protest made a global headlines in July 2004 when 12 elderly women stripped themselves naked as a symbol of protest outside Kangla Fort while carrying banners that read Indian Army Rapist because of, again, you go back to the Draconian Armed Forces Special Powers Act to protest against the rape and custodial killing of a Manipuri women named Thangjam Manurama. Uh, Ima Kaithal is another initiative in Manipur this is the only market in the world where all the stalls are run by women and around 4,000 women are associated with this market. Ima market, with Ima means mother in Manipuri language. Uh, any woman, irrespective of her caste and creed, can set up a stall uh, there. Many women who are victims of conflict are trying to earn livelihood <coughs> by selling their local products. In Meghalaya also, uh, local, uh, Meghalaya also uh, Mother's Union of Tura has played a key role in persuading some of the militant groups of Meghalaya. To conclude, women play multiple roles in armed conflict, but these roles remain unacknowledged due to their symbolic references along with the identity and honor of the community. Women have to face multiple injuries in the time of conflict. The supposed liberation that women may achieve in situations of armed combat uh, is often a temporary one in which they are required to take roles traditionally reserved for men. The multiple roles that women are subjected and uh, subjected to and play in armed conflict show that women cannot be categorized just as victims of conflict. Even when they are victims, they exercise their agency and survival techniques despite adverse conditions. Women have argued uh, that women have all the potential to regain their lost space or prove as an independent agency during conflicts. But the reality is that most of the women or women combatants have been one of the subservience to men. Some women may achieve positions of leadership in situations of conflict, but since the laws and social construction has not changed and structurally hierarchical women as a group are yet to improve their position or receive equal rights.
some clippings. I have told you about this Mera Pebi, protest of Manipuri women against Armed Forces Special Powers Act. 12 uh, Maiti women. Condition of school in conflict zones of Assam. Oh, yes, Iram Sharmila. Go back to page number 39. Any description of conflict in Manipur would be incomplete without mentioning this lady. Uh, Iram Sharmila, she has been observing an indef indefinite fast since uh, November 4, 2000 in protest against the killing of 10 innocent civilians by the soldiers of Assam Regiment at a place called Maulam. Uh, her protest also uh, demands an immediate end to the state impunity and repeal of the draconian armed forces special powers act 15 years have passed and government has not withdrawn the law and sharmila has not um, has not stopped her fast She's members been forcibly fed by the state yes sorry forcibly fed yes with her yes and she has become a symbol of resistance in manipur she has been actually force uh, fed uh, through a tube in her nose for the last 15 years mm. oh, sorry uh, Hajang group, uh, Hajang uh, tribal women, uh, they are in Northeast India. Shanti Sena workers, and can you see the in the background? They have those small little uh, post of a photograph of the yes. Indian leaders. Yes, Yes, so the, these are the women. You know, they collect those DDT powder and sprinkle in the ponds. Then you know, uh, spread the message of peace involving uh, forming self-help groups in the region and part of uh, anti-insurgency operations in public vehicles. It's a common site in northeastern states. And oh, this has not come properly. Uh, it was actually yearly extra extortion collection received in Nagaland. <laughs> to the militant, you have to pay a tax. That is why, you know, the officers, they do not wish to go and get any posting there. Teachers do not wish to get a job there because Nagaland, Manipur, from your salary, you have to give it to your to, to the militant group or else <laughs> you know the consequence. So it's not coming, sir. I don't know. I don't yeah, know why. What is the problem? But yeah, that is there. So, so this is the militant group. Uh, like an alternative Yeah, alternative yeah, they're, they're, they're parallel government. So they declared them as parallel government and they, uh, you know, they actually uh, collect extortion uh, rate sum and then after that they'll also issue a receipt. Hmm. <laughs> if they, oh, you have not paid, no, no, we have paid you. Paid you, sir, we have paid you. Okay, go. <laughs> not kill you. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's the end of my presentation. Maybe quickly we can go to the movie.